Mac Power Users, episode 647, catching up with Zach Hall. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks. I'm here today sans Stephen Hackett. He couldn't be here this week, but it's okay. We have a special guest with us today. Welcome back to the show, Zach Hall. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me, Dave. Uh, Zach, it's so great to have you back. I, when I heard Stephen couldn't make it, I was so happy that this episode is with you. You and I always have a good time when when we talk. Uh, for folks who don't know, Zach, he is. Are you the? What's your technical title over at Nine to Five Mac? Are you the editor? Or I'm I'm currently going by senior editor. It's changed over the years, but that's what I'm comfortable with. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in my mind, you're a Nine to Five Mac guy. You know, you're the guy yeah. who makes sure that website keeps running and and gets out great content. Which, by the way, and I've told you this offline, it is my favorite fire hose, and I mean that sure. in the best of ways. You know, I mean the. Uh, there's a lot of websites out there that that really do a good job of covering anything related to Apple tech, and mm-hmm. uh, I think you guys just kill it. I love the way you cover stuff. So thank, thank you. We have a really good team around the country and around around the globe, even. So yeah, it's, it's a yeah. team effort. You're global empire now, and uh, <laughs> and Zach also uh, has a show space or a, a site Space Explored. We're going to talk about that in the uh, mm-hmm. member special. Uh, later today. Sure. But uh, I, I just wanted to talk to you, Zach. This is the perfect time to have you on the show. Uh, not only does 9to5Mac cover, you know, uh, how-tos and tutorials, but you guys also do a good job of covering the news and the rumors. And with us coming mm-hmm. right out of WWDC and now hardware rumors uh, heating up, I felt like this would be a great time to have you on the show and kind of catch up with what's going on. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, also, the last time I covered for Steven, uh, it was for the Liftoff podcast on Really FM. So, yes. I mean, this isn't covering for Steven, but I'm in place of Steven as the guest. So, yeah. I like the continuity there. And I, I told him <laughs> for more power users, we were going to cover space. And I could tell he, sure. was, he was like a little sad, right? You know, he's like, <laughs> Wait, it's like it would be like him covering jazz when I'm out, you know? Right, so, right. I, I, uh, I think it's kind of funny, but anyway, there we go. <laughs> Uh, either way, uh, so Zach, uh, first of all, uh, we've talked about you know your many hats that you wear, but uh, tell me a little bit about where your hardware situation is these days. Sure. So uh, on the day of WWDC, the Monday keynote, I after the keynote, I ordered a Mac Studio, and I was wanting one for a couple of months prior, but my um, colleague Benjamin Mayo had said, you should really wait until WWDC and see what comes out. And maybe there'll be a higher end Mac mini that's better for your needs or something like that. And so I did, I waited and I messaged him and I said, do I have permission to buy a Mac studio now? And he says, yes, you, you, you do. Yeah. So I uh, ordered the Mac studio. Prior to that, I already had the Apple studio display. Yeah. Um, I bought that maybe three or four weeks after it came out. And by not ordering on day one, it was very hard to to get, you know, within a couple of months' time. So I ended up driving out of state about two, <laughs> two and a half hours away yeah. to pick it up. <laughs> yeah, that, that's always shocking to me when I hear people driving out of state. I, uh, you know, I sure. grew up in California, so leaving the state's like a five-hour trip for us. <laughs> and when I was a kid, we used to go back to Massachusetts where my mom grew up. And mm-hmm. then she would say, well, let's go to Rhode Island for ice cream. And that would just blow my mind that you could do that, right? Right, yeah. But I do, th- I want to wind back a little bit. So you mm-hmm. were not waiting for the Mac Pro at WWDC. You were waiting to see if they actually had something less powerful than right. the Mac Studio. 
Exactly. You know, because the M1, or, or, yeah, I, I had an M1 MacBook Air prior to that, and I wanted a desktop. I was using my MacBook Air 90% of the time at my desk, uh, which sort of began as like uh, I had a lower back pain and I went to the doctor and went to physical therapy and, you know, learned some exercises. But it was largely because I was using my laptop around, not in an ergonomic way. Sure. And, Hunched you know. on the couch or whatever, right? <laughs> right, right. And so I sort of, for- I wanted to force myself into a desktop-only environment, um, primarily to sort of train myself to make that habit. And so I, I had purchased the Apple Studio Display, um, a, a Keychron, uh, keyboard, uh, Logitech, um, Ergo, the, the, the ball mouse, uh, and then the magic trackpad for so all three of those things. Plus the MacBook air usually closed, but, uh, it was the base model M one MacBook air from 2020. And I, you know, I think once I was doing like desktop size things, especially with the monitor, I was noticing some sluggishness and eight gigabytes of RAM, especially with the number of tabs I had open for work and photo editing was always kind of a delay. So um, I knew I needed something more than that. And I didn't want to go with a laptop because I thought I could get a better, you know, specs of value, uh, you know, better specs and better value for a desktop. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Right. Right. And, um, and if you're trying to put yourself at a desk, I think that's the way to do it. I mean, for so long, I used a desktop machine. And then when the MacBook Pro, the M1 MacBook Pro came out, I got one. Um, For me, I need the flexibility right now, but I'm in the process of making some changes. I'm adding a room onto the house. And Mm -hmm. maybe at that point, I'll go back to the desktop only lifestyle. Sure. But, um, a couple things you told me was number one is you do not have a laptop at all anymore and you don't have an iPad. So you're That's really right. doing everything at that computer. It's ev- yeah. Everything is at my desk at this computer, um, which eventually I'll, I'll need to expand and have a, have a Mac caliber mobile solution, um, you know, for work travel. And if I want to, work out of town for a week or so, then, you know, I, I definitely, um, I have that need, but I'm still sort of training myself to do the desk, um, you know, as close to eight hours a day during the week as possible. And, and it's a standing desk. So I, you know, can, can get up and move around and, and that kind of thing. So that's, that's good. But um, other than, than the Mac studio, I'm checking in when I'm remote from the iPhone and um, you know, we'll talk more about what, what apps and services I use later on. But um, for now it, it's, it gets the job done in a way that that an iPad I think would be pretty close to redundant for me, and and I will look at laptops in the future again. But but for now, I'm sort of training myself to be desktop only. And and the iPhone is you know I feel like I've got you know how much is enough uh, you know and everything you need is enough. So I've kind of got everything I need to do do the basics of my job. Yeah, and I'm imagining like a low spec uh, MacBook Air would probably be perfect to pair with that, you know? Right, right, yeah. But if I were you, I would not get another eight gigabyte machine. I, no, you know, it's just <laughs> less lesson learned there. Now, you did you say you have the the ball mouse, the one with the little ball under the thumb? Yeah, it's it's the Logitech MX Ergo uh, mouse, and it's it's the ball mouse. So instead of having you know a laser and you move it on your desk, it's it's fixed in one position, and you scroll the ball with your thumb, and it's got two positions, so you can have it sort of flat or raised up. And I, I tend to use the raised up um, position, 
And it, I, I believe it's my first time ever using a ball mouse, save for maybe the late 90s or so um, as a kid. But uh, it, it definitely took some getting used to both that and the keyboard. You know, anything that's sort of ergonomic designed, when you come from, you know, Apple's flat mouse and flat trackpad and, and flat keyboard, anything else feels very different. And so there were, you know, it's probably a week or two where I felt like I'm definitely slower and it's like I'm learning, you know, how to use a keyboard and mouse for the first time. But, you know, fortunately, I learned how to use both of these these things before WWDC, and now I feel like I'm very efficient. But, you know, things like learning how to move a, a cursor across the screen, a 27-inch screen, and as fast as you can, a mouse, you know, moving your hand around. Um, and I really like it. Uh, one like, very trivial thing I like about having the mouse, the, the ball-moving mouse, is that um, my keyboard, I don't really move it on my desk. My trackpad stays in one place but my mouse would always be wherever I last used it. And just visually, it kind of I would always like reset it in position. And because the ball mouse never moves, it's always right there as if I'm like, I want to take a photo of my desk. So uh, I really like it. And I, I can't imagine going back now. Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that, because I was going to say, I had some experience with one of these a while ago. Um, and I like the spatial awareness of it. Like, you can be looking at the screen and if you need to get to your mouse, you don't know where it is, right? Because it moves right. around, whereas the the ball mouse is in one spot. So you can get to it very quickly. You don't even have to look down at the desk to get your hand on it. But the I, I tried a friend's, and that initial thing of move the cursor across a, a big screen mm-hmm. was like a killer for me. It was like, man, it took forever. I'm just like winding this thing. It's like um, when I was a kid, there used to be an arcade game, like an arcade football game. They sure. had a big ball on it that you had to roll and you'd like pinch your fingers in it. I think it felt like <laughs> the old days I was playing football, you know, the um, getting that mouse across. So, so give us some tips. I mean, what have you figured out if someone wants to try this and make it stick? Well, the first thing is when you use a ball mouse, uh, at least this one, Logitech has some software that you install. Logi Options is the name of the app, I believe. And what that does is it recognizes, you know, this is a ball mouse. So um, it, it's still a mouse on the trackpad. So it's your cursor, like your mouse cursor settings, but your default on on macOS is probably not what you want to use with a ball mouse. So you, you probably want to speed up the ball cursor movement more than you would a, a regular mouse that you're moving with your hand. And so the, the Logi Options app lets you set the specific cursor speed for the, for the, for the mouse versus the system. And so through that, you can play around with and see, okay, I can make this move you know, with very little movement, sling my cursor across the screen, or go a little slower, and it's more natural to what I use. And there's even a button on it that you can click, and it gives you precision precision movement. So if you're really trying to you know, make a straight line or something, maybe in photo editing or something, then you can click a button and make it move really slow, um, as if you are moving your, your mouse really slow. And so those those two things, you know, having the option for precision scrolling or, or moving your mouse, moving your cursor, and then also having a separate utility that recognizes this is not just a, this is not your centered mouse. And if you use a centered mouse, you don't want to change that. You want to have a separate speed for this thing. So getting that utility and figuring it out and playing around with the speeds on that was the the big thing. And then just muscle memory. I mean, when you're used to moving your hand around for a mouse and suddenly you're not, you're moving just your thumb. 
that's a whole new skill to learn, you know, and uh, it just takes time. You know, if I were to try this right before WWDC, I would think these tools are not good for what I need to do. I need to work fast. Um, but taking the time to learn them in a slower period and then sticking with them uh, helped a whole lot. Yeah. And I agree with you on Logi options. I think that's what it's called because mm-hmm. I've used a Logitech keyboard and mouse in the past too. Um, usually I'm very leery about installing that kind of software on my Mac, but this stuff seems to run fine and not cause any problems. So, right now you said that you got a Keychron keyboard, but Keychron makes a lot of keyboards these days. Which one did you get? I have a Keychron K2 wireless mechanical keyboard. K2A2Z is the name of it. It's dark gray. Uh, the scissors or the switch color is blue. If that makes any sense, my yeah. first time using one, yeah. and I just, you know what I did? I picked my favorite color. <laughs> I don't <laughs> okay. know anything about these, and it turns out I, th- I think I think blue is sort of more aggressive than others. Yeah, um, key colors, and 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 so I'm perfectly happy with that. It is wireless, and I do use it wired because I found with this specific keyboard. Um, the default sleep time was far too aggressive for what I wanted. And you can change the the way the keyboard works through keyboard shortcuts that you look up in the manual and online. But um, I, I still found that even it, it was either dying too quickly or it would take too long to wake up the keyboard and then my Mac. It wasn't quite as instant as a mouse or even Apple's keyboards are. Yeah. Um, so I, I just use it with the USB-C connector, which is L-shaped, so it doesn't stick a big wire out of the desk. And um, I'm perfectly happy with that. And, and um, I, you know, I, I, when I use, I, I've, I've since, you know, tried out laptops and storage and things like that. And it's like, oh, this is weird, you know. And when I go the weekend without touching my computer, for example, and come back on a Monday morning, I'm like, this, this feels really good. I feel productive. <laughs> now, if you ever want to treat yourself, look at the Keychron Q series. Mm-hmm. That's their newer kind of upper scale ones. They aren't that much more money. And if you're going to buy one of these, I would recommend. I mean, you've already bought one, so you don't want to do this. But I would recommend the Q series. It is wired. It's not wireless, mm-hmm. but it's made. I think it's made out of aluminum or um, unobtainium. I don't know what it's made of, but like if someone broke into your house, you could probably you know kill him <laughs> with it because mm-hmm. it's so heavy. And um, I have one of those, and it's got the little knob on it for the volume oh, yeah. instead of the. Um, it replaced one of the buttons with a volume knob, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I like it too. I don't use it all the time. It just kind of depends. I, I move back and forth between that and the Apple keyboard. The one thing Apple has that I love is that, you know, that touch ID button, you know, right. it's yeah. so convenient and I use that so often. Yeah. And I love the look of the silver and black accessory. So they've got, you know, I have the trackpad in silver and black, the newest color that, that debuted with the Mac pro in 2019. And they, they started selling yeah. it separately this year. Or so, um, and I, I love that. I mean, it matches matches my my backup drive and my display. And I had a, my MacBook Air with silver, and um, I love the way these look. And but it's it strictly, you know, I, I wanted to have a different typing experience. You know, partially, you know, finger pain from, and and you know, just wanted to have the, the best long term health for my body uh, solutions. Yeah. And 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 with, with Touch ID missing there, you know, it was on the MacBook Air, but I used it in clamshell mostly, so it wasn't there. Um, I'm mostly happy with the Apple Watch filling in the gap, where you can, um, you know, you can do Apple Pay from the watch on your Mac. You can open locked settings that way, and you can you can fill in passwords a lot of times too. So it's not quite as good; doesn't work in as many places. But it, you know, it, it skips the login screen, for example, and that's enough for me. Yeah. And in some ways it's better, you know, like when you Mm -hmm. sit down and it just turns on 
rather right. than having to touch the touch ID, and that's actually better. So mm-hmm. if you wear an Apple Watch while you're at your Mac, um, the touch ID button is not as big of a deal. Well, you know what? I'm going to have to go get my Keychron out of the garage <laughs> now. Thanks a lot, Zach. Yeah. I, <laughs> I'm really tempted to try one of these ball mics because, like I said, I used it for like an hour on a friend's computer, and I thought, oh, this is too much. Yeah, just not just not enough time to get used to it. Yeah, you gotta like just dedicate like a week to it. And it, it kind of feels retro in a cool way where like yeah. if you if on Apple TV, uh two shows, Severance, they they have, you know, mechanical keyboards and like a, a fixed position mouse, I believe, which is, I think is like attached to the keyboard as a ball. Yeah. And then on um For All Mankind, you see this as well. And so it, it kind of gives me that retro feel too. Uh, but like retro futuristic <laughs> because they're not in fashion now. Uh, really, I'm a big fan of it, especially this one. Next up in the outline, we're going to be talking about future hardware, but I just want to take a minute to talk about all mankind and those students. <laughs> I mean, yes. What do you think about that? Now, if, for people listening, there's a show on Apple TV Plus called For All Mankind. It's like an alternate history where the space race never ended. And if you have Apple TV, I recommend watching it. It's really fun and engaging. And uh, the most recent season, they're all doing video conferencing with little Apple Newtons. In the 90s. Yes. It's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You can call on the moon and back to Earth and and FaceTime over a Newton. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They they showed a behind the scenes, you know, uh, shot at what they did. And it was literally an iPhone inside of a Newton case. (laughs) Clever. But that gives you a whole other idea, right? And I, I feel like Hackett should get put an iPhone in a Newton case and just start carrying it around. I feel like that is totally on brand for him. So my colleagues at Space Explored, like they know space, they don't know Apple per se. And so um, one of them asked me, what was that thing that they were using to video call with? Was that a real product? And I was like, well, sort of (laughs) Newton was real. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that I I thought from that is, man, I want that rainbow logo to come back. I don't know. I mean, just make one Mac that has a rainbow logo, and I will buy it like a lemming. I will just buy it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. Go to onepassword.com slash MPU in all caps to get 20% off. 1Password is the application that both Stephen and I use to manage our passwords. Not only do we use 1Password for password management, however, it does so much more. For instance, with 1Password, you have a secure vault that you can keep on your Mac, iPhone, and iPad, where you can keep data that other people can't see, even if they unlock your computer. It provides me a second layer of security. So even if you get through my phone, you're still not going to get my most detailed information because it's all buried in secure notes. Back when I was a lawyer, I kept secure client data in those secure notes. Now I keep things in there like my kids' social security numbers and my medical information. Because I have one password, I have the freedom of putting any information that's important to me or I may need someday on my phone without having to worry about its security. Just go into the app, hit the plus button in the top right corner and add a new secure note. I currently have 86 of them. Just a few of the things I keep in my 1Password notes include a list of all of my bank accounts along with their routing numbers. So I've got all that stuff quickly available to me. I've got all the passwords for my mother-in-law because she routinely forgets them. So I have to keep track of them for her. And of course, many notes about my own medical treatment, medications, and other things that I want to keep secure on my phone. 
I love the secure notes feature in 1Password, and I use it all the time, but that's just one of many features. You can also track your credit cards, identities, email accounts, memberships, reward programs. They've got it all covered, all in a single application. There are so many good reasons to use 1Password. I have 1Password for family's account, and I share it with my kids and my wife, and we are all invested in it. You should too. Go to onepassword.com slash MPU in all caps and sign up today and get that 20% off. Also, that lets them know you heard about it here on the Mac Power Users. Thanks again to OnePassword for all their support of the Mac Power Users. Okay, so so Zach, you are uh, over at 9to5Mac. You guys report on rumors, and we got a bunch of them this week from our buddy Mark Gurman about various products. And I'd like to start with the Mac because I think the story around Apple Silicon and the Mac the last two years has just been fascinating. Right. Yeah. And, and by the way, Mark Herman, former colleague at Undivided Mac, I owe my career to him because he sort of plucked me out of the the you know, normal job landscape and 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 put me in the 9to5Mac. Nine, nine and uh, without him, I, I wouldn't be here. So I love Mark Herman, not just for the rumors. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, cool. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I wouldn't be here without him. And uh, in terms of these rumors, I mean, there, there's there's a lot of good stuff here. Uh, you know, we know the new MacBook Air that Apple announced coming in July, and I'm very curious about trying out one of those. And um, I'm sure that'll satisfy my my portable uh, notebook need. Um, maybe with eight, more than eight gigabytes of RAM, but you know, before that thing even ships, Mark Herman has this report about two new notebooks: one a 15-inch MacBook Air, which is something I remember writing about in the early days of my role at Nine to Five Mac, which started in 2013. So um, years ago, I was I was kind of writing that. You know, here here's the problem with the 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 MacBook Air: you, you have the time 11 and 13 inch screen sizes. Yeah. And then if you want a bigger screen, you've got MacBook Pros that are way heavier and way bulkier. more expensive. Way more expensive. But what if you want a bigger screen and you don't want the extra, you know, battery and and everything inside that gives it the weight? A MacBook Air that's that's 15 inches, that would be quite compelling. And um that, you know, there were actually rumors around around one at the time, but I think it ended up just being the the first Retina MacBook Pro, which was a little bit slimmer, but not MacBook Air slim. Yeah, you know, you know this this comes up on the show all the time because Stephen and I both agree that it's like that's the missing hole in the line. They have, sure. yeah, they have the consumer laptop, but it, it caps at thirteen inches. It, mm-hmm. It's just like the phones. Like we're hearing the rumors about this year, where instead of an iPhone Mini, it's going to be a standard iPhone and an iPhone kind of Mac size, but mm-hmm. without the Pro features. That's like right. People want bigger screens. I think people want some people want a bigger laptop without having to pay for a MacBook Pro. And just like on the iPhone, you know, the iPhone side, if you go for the Max Pro, uh, Mac Max phone prior to maybe this fall, it's heavier materials too. So not just a bigger bigger body, but they use heavier materials. And so that's one of the the drawbacks about it is it is a heavier phone. And so with an iPhone 14, you know, Max non Pro, you assume they'll use aluminum and not stainless steel bands, and that that'll make it just a lighter phone too. So you get the big screen and lighter, and that's what this MacBook Air sounds like. Um, and th- there's various reports from, from you know Ming Shi Kuo and uh, Ross Young, uh, and Mark Gurman believes that this MacBook Air, you know whether it's called that or not, it, it, some sort of 15 inch thinner than a Pro, um, less spec than a Pro machine is coming next year. 
And then there's this other rumor that that he that he put out there that has a 12 inch MacBook coming, um, the first time with Apple Silicon, and and this really has me excited, especially if I'm optimizing my my Mac setup for desktop, and then I want to optimize the notebook for portability. A 12 inch MacBook, I think, would be really cool to have. I, I used the old 2015 model that was just MacBook, yeah, um, with the, the core. M, I think they called it Core M8 or so, uh, or just Core M. But but that that machine, I, I loved it, and I actually worked on one exclusively for about a year, and mostly in the more space setting where it wasn't as sharp as Retina, but it did show you you could fit more things on the screen. I love that thing. You know, it got about four hours of battery life. <laughs> yeah, it was the first thing with USB C, and the keyboard ended up being problematic. But the you know, it's a really good idea for for a notebook. Um, you know, and, and why not go bigger and go smaller? Offer options there, especially when um, I think these these non pro notebooks are Apple's best selling. Yeah, I I agree. And like you, the I hear the siren song of a super tiny Mac. And the problem with the twelve inch was the Intel silicon. You know, and now mm-hmm. Apple has they just happen to have something that could make that computer truly awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. I hope they make it. I, you know, it's, it's Apple. So some, in some ways you think, well, they're going to think, well, the 13 inch MacBook air is good enough. It's small enough, but yeah. there's a huge difference, you know, as it starts getting smaller. Right. Especially, you know, that 12 inch MacBook in 2015 was, was marketed higher. It, it was priced higher than the MacBook air, for example. And the 12 inch got retina when the air wasn't retina yet. But you were looking at a thousand dollars versus thirteen hundred dollars, so yeah. three hundred dollars difference there. Um, this time, maybe they could they could you know position it as you know make make it a thousand dollars, keep the MacBook Air at twelve hundred or so, and and play around with that. Um, but but uh, one thing too about this is that Mark says the fifteen inch MacBook Air is like twenty twenty three. This twelve inch MacBook that doesn't give a, a next year target for it. So it could be further out than that. So that, you know, my, my, when it, the report first came out, I was telling my colleague, uh, Benjamin Mayo that, okay, Mac studio until the 12 inch comes out and then I'll have a, a notebook then. But if it's, you know, further than a year out, it's a long time to wait based on a rumor. So, yeah. 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 And, and honestly, the, with even the MacBook air that's been announced, I think they're going to be hard to get. I think that, um, if yeah. people want them, they need to get in early and, um, I think there may be a long wait. I mean, there, there's weights now on the 13-inch MacBook Pro, which I think a lot of people would agree is kind of a strange computer to even exist at this point. But mm-hmm. it's even hard to get those like right away. Yeah, it's it's if if the constraint is the M2 processor inside, then it's a curious decision to put out the MacBook Pro first, or you know, at all. <laughs> but but surely it's other parts that are making it it, it push back. But um, yeah, and I think the base store or base RAM on a MacBook Air, the new one, is still eight gigabytes. So if you want a higher end one, any kind of custom configuration tends to take even longer. So um, yeah, probably not a July release for most people. <laughs> Something I hear frequently from Mac Power users listeners is bemoaning the lack of the existence of a large iMac, you know. Sure. Uh, people love the the new colorful iMacs that came out, but some people want a bigger screen and they're not willing to like go down. They have a 27 inch, they're not willing to go down to a 24. Mm-hmm. Um are you hearing anything about that? It it sounds like, you know, the, they when the iMac Pro went away, there was just discontinued and there was no promise of a new one. Yeah. And the 
21 and a half inch iMac on Intel was replaced with 24 inches, which is, you know, halfway happens, yeah. happens to be halfway in, you know, right in the middle yeah. of 21 and a half and 27. Uh, you know, what, what Mark says, what, what we found in, 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 you know, our reporting is that there does, it, it is in the pipeline, but it's not in the pipeline for this year. Next year is questionable, but it sounds like when they do go to a, a larger screen, it'll also be a much higher end computer than the iMac or, you know, m- maybe the Mac Studio is the best way to look at it is just that, but with a built-in screen, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and in the meantime, the solution of, you know, extra, external display, it gets quite pricey compared to what an all-in-one could be. Uh, but I would also expect if they go super high end with the, with the iMac, you know, pro, if we'll call it that, then it'll also be a, a premium machine, not just for the screen, but, you know, because it's higher in hardware as well. And, and what I tell people is if that is what you really want and the Mac Studio is more powerful, just wait a little while. I do think there's going to be an M2 Mac Mini that's mm-hmm. going to be very satisfying in terms of power and price. And then you don't need to buy the Apple uh, display. You can buy, th- there's other good displays out there. In fact, you guys review a bunch of them mm-hmm. um, that, um, you know, under $1,000 or maybe even under $700 where you could get mm-hmm. a pretty good Screen. I mean, you're not going to have the pixel density that us Mac nerds love, but you're going to have a good screen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can probably get yourself set up pretty good for not a huge amount of money. But I think that missing M2 Mac Mini is the is the missing piece for, for those folks right now. And the high-end Mac Minis are still on Intel. So the, the space gray colored Mac Minis are still yeah. on the the Intel i7 and i9 chip. So that's that's sort of what I was waiting for before buying a Mac Studio as well was, well, we'll see what replaces that. Yeah. You know, when Apple quits selling that, then what's what's in its place? We don't have it yet. Yeah, and if you look at the M1 line, they had a chip called the M1 Pro, which mm-hmm. only ever existed in the MacBook Pro. Mm-hmm. And um, there was no desktop computer that had it, but then they never released a like second-tier Mac Mini. It seems to me like, like a, a pro level Mac Mini would have an M2 Pro chip in it, which I think that's going to be a great chip for a lot of people. I think. Right. I think it's. I think the release. I mean, what, what, it would be a fuller lineup if there was the Mac Mini Pro and and something that was in between a Mac Mini and a Mac Studio on the desktop side. Um, but I, you know, my reckon is that they looked at how how long they've been in M1 territory and what they were rolling it out to. They prioritize certain devices and that. Maybe with M, you know, it, it, of course, uh, M2 Pro or M2 Ultra, you know, can do more with with multi-threaded task than a than an M2 can. But um, I, th- I think the the reality is that the M2 train has began, and now we'll start to see M2 versions of those Pro and Ultra and Max chips. And hopefully, this time it means inside of a, a Mac Mini, high-end Mac Mini. All right. So, what the last thing I want to talk about while we're in speculation land on the Mac is the Mac Pro. Sure. I, I am just so excited to see what they do with a Mac Pro. I have no intention of buying one, <laughs> but it's just like the people who like to go see concept cars. I want to see mm-hmm. what they do. I, I feel like the Mac Studio really takes the the rain, you know, releases the hounds. I mean, they can do whatever they want, <laughs> make it as expensive as they want because they have that Mac Studio there for most people. Yeah, uh, and uh, uh, you have any uh, any ideas what we're going to get in terms of a Mac Pro? Oh, it's that's always the big mystery, right? Is the Mac Pro? They tend to keep that pretty close yeah. <laughs> before they release it. Uh, and, and like you, I'm not in the market for one, 
But, you know, when the 2019 Mac Pro came out, there was a pretty big difference between, you know, iMac and, and, and iMac Pro and, and then Mac Pro. Uh, and, and this year, you know, assuming this thing comes out before the end of the year, um, we won't really have that because of the Mac Studio. So, yeah. um, you know, that's, that's kind of a, a good thing. And, I, you know, the thing I'm always most interested in, sort of like you mentioned, is the concept car type thing. But just how it looks, what they do with the design, um, it's always so different from the rest of the, the Mac lineup. And that 2013 design that was never updated, you know, it was called the Trash Can Mac Pro. And it, they, they only, they only uh, in, cut off models. They never did a, a new refresh of it. Um, that with Apple Silicon would be really neat. <laughs> and it's, it's very dated now because in 2013, you weren't on USB-C or Thunderbolt in the USB-C shape. And yeah. um, lo- lots of things were dated beyond just the fact that it was never updated. Um, but, but that kind of design approach and with M series chips would be really neat. I don't know that they'll do that though, because it, it is so, you know, problematic in, in history, but uh, it, it'll, it's, you know, Something that's like the Mac Pro now, but probably you know half the size or a quarter of the size, but still the same similar functionality would be really neat to see. Yeah, I think it's it's gonna have to have card support because so many of the pros that buy those really high end machines do have specialized cards they need to use with them. Yeah, and, yeah. The other thing that you guys have reported recently that I wanted to talk about is the the big HomePod. I you know yeah. I <laughs> I have several of them. And I've got friends, and they all keep telling me how their HomePods are dying off. And mine are keep going. I'm almost afraid to talk about it publicly because I'm afraid sure. they're going to start dying. But I really like them. Um, uh, I like the way they sound. Um, they obviously are underpowered processor-wise, and Siri struggles. In fact, I've got a blog post that will have gone up by the time this airs talking about mm-hmm. how Siri is the problem, really, with this stuff. But I think that they just need faster processors. But uh, it seems to me weird that Apple would stop selling a product without having a replacement product, but this is a, one of those cases where they did that. Yeah, when they stopped selling them, there were, there were reports of customers buying what was left of the inventory and it's still having the 2018 software on it. You know, the idea being the launch inventory never actually sold out um, and, and no more were ever made. So that's, that's a problem. But uh, I really love the Big Home Pod. I had several when they were first released and had them throughout the home in stereo pairs and in single rooms. And um, when they when they were discontinued, I was really upset about it so much that I was like, well, if Apple's not going to continue selling these and investing in them, I don't even want it. And I, I regret it, but I, I, I gifted mine away. Like I gave my mom um, one and some other family them and 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 then just went you know I was just like well if they're gonna only invest in the HomePod Mini then then I'll just I'll you know follow that path and um, I'm really happy to, to hear this news the first mention was from Ming-Chi Kuo who said that Apple was developing a new HomePod this year but didn't say anything about it it was just a new HomePod and we sort of guessed it was a bigger HomePod um, then later 9to5Mac reported through some code findings that it was indeed a you know based on the way the, the the product reference was made, that it was a higher-end version than the HomePod Mini. So we assume, you know, medium to big HomePod. Uh, and then Ming-Chi Kuo followed up that report by saying, yes, I agree, this will be a big HomePod, similar to the original one, but just updated for price and, and modern features. So um, that, that's really exciting. The uh, Over the last weekend, Mark Herman had in his newsletter, uh, Power On, a mention of this HomePod as well. He says it'll be a next-year release, so 2023. Um, but what he also says is that it will 
run on the S8 processor, which is what's expected to be in the new Apple Watch. And that's sort of the model that they took with the HomePod Mini as well, was put the Apple Watch processor in the HomePod Mini. And I think that in part helps with the pricing. And so, you know, Ming-Chi Kuo's first report was that they're going to work on, um, I think, the the, the power, or the, the price structure of this thing as well. So having an, an S-series processor versus an A-series processor inside, I think, will help with that. Uh, but I can't wait to have one. I, I I only have minis at home. I have louder audio systems than the minis, then I tend to use use those. But in terms of just HomePod, I was visiting, visiting my mom last weekend out of state, and um, she has the HomePod that I gifted her. And I just just airplayed some music to it, and I was just thoroughly impressed by how much oomph the thing has yeah. for being a single speaker in that case. And I was just, I can't wait for them to come back. So what we learned is it's good to hang out with Zach when he's mad about an Apple product because he <laughs> might give it to you. <laughs> yeah, That's yeah. Right. I, I wish they had, and I, it's it's you know I know this is kind of not what they do anymore, but I wish they had like outputs and inputs in those. Like, mm-hmm. wouldn't it be great if even though it has an old chip and even though the software isn't that great anymore, probably not even updated. I could still plug a you know an eighth inch you know cable into it and still use it as a speaker. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the one thing about it that kind of is disappointing because they're expensive and they have a shelf life of what three to five years. You know, you're not going to be using it anymore after that. And then what do you do with them, right? Yeah, yeah. We were thinking about this at nine to five Mac recently, and you know, we we kind of discussed. Well, would you have expected in 2018 for this product to not only not exist in 2022, but to have stopped working. And, you know, the ones that I've gifted, they still work. Don't know why, but I do have a friend who had just a single HomePod in, in his living room and use it just to play music. And um, it just, it stopped. And some of them stopped through software updates, which is really scary. Um, but others just have hardware failures. And it seems to be that it's, it's you know, this, like for my friend, it was just that the speaker hardware stopped working. You know, something about it was was damaged over time. And um, you really can't do anything with that. So it's a weird one. Um, but I don't know if you saw this week, the uh, uh, Google Nexus Q, I think it's called. It's from 10 years ago. And it was, it predated, you know, HomePods and, and uh, Echoes and all of that. And it predated the Chromecast, but it was like a little smart speaker thing that had banana plugs on the back. So you could plug it up to your to your AV equipment and they ended up canceling it before it ever ever shipped. Three hundred bucks, and and uh, it was really weird. But but that kind of reminds me of you know what people want now is to put in some some hardware plugs on the back of it so you can you know use it more. It can be more versatile than just a smart speaker. Yeah, I mean, remember the uh, what was that? The Apple, the first speaker Apple sold back in the day was the iPod Hi-Fi. Right, it? right. Yeah, I mean those still work if you can plug into them. You know, that's right. Whereas your friend's HomePod, which is a lot younger, is no longer working. But yeah, I ended up buying an iPod Hi-Fi several years ago for fifty bucks on on Facebook Marketplace. <laughs> a guy okay. was a guy in Texas was selling it to say so you could afford uh, bicycle parts. Okay, and so <laughs> I was like, hey, I would like to buy that and collect it. And this is before the HomePod was out, and uh, is I, I still have it, you know. And you can you can put in. Uh, D batteries, the really big ones, yeah, yeah. <laughs> six and make it portable. Quite yeah. heavy then, but it's possible. But it has auxiliary in as well, so you could. What I did at the time was I plugged it up to an Airport Express, which had the line out input, and you could you could airplay to the to the iPod Hi-Fi or whatever speaker was connected to the Airport Express. But you know that that sense went away. 
And there is one Belkin product that gives you AirPlay 2 to a connected speaker like that, but you know, you don't really hear about that. So, yeah. Well, I just want to tell the audience that this is how much I love you. I've now talked about my working home pods and now they are all going to break. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Electric. Unbury yourself from IT tasks and get a free pair of Beats Solo 3 wireless headphones when you schedule a qualifying meeting. Just go to electric.ai slash MPU. When leading your small business, it's not all glamour. In fact, sometimes it's a matter of spending hours trying to find a laptop lost in the mail for a new hire or dealing with some other technical emergency, which you're well-equipped to deal with but maybe don't have time for. The team over at Electric knows small businesses, maybe like yours, face these challenges. That's why they've solved this problem for you by operating as your IT department. Instead of spending your time sorting through unused application licenses, setting up employee laptops, and answering never-ending IT questions from your team, you can build that empire. With Electric acting as your IT department, you can get back to what you're good at, plus get a really cool IT platform to see and manage everything. We all have things we're good at, but we're also nerds. I mean, you're listening to the Mac Power Users after all. I've fallen down that rabbit hole many times in my life where I got stuck with the tech and didn't do the actual work. Don't be like me. Get Electric to handle the tech for you so you can do everything else. And for Mac Power Users listeners, Electric is offering a free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones for taking a qualified meeting. Just go to electric.ai slash mpu that's E-L-E-C-T-R-I-C dot A-I slash M-P-U. Go there now to get your free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones today for scheduling a qualified meeting. And our thanks to Electric for their support of the Mac Power users. So, Zach, when we were talking about your hardware earlier, you said you had a Mac and you said you had a phone, but you you said you don't have an iPad. And so a lot of people I know that have a desktop Mac usually use an iPad as their mobile device, but the iPad yeah. just didn't take for you. What, tell me the story here. I've had a lot of iPads over the years. My, my first iPad was an iPad 2. And I remember thinking, oh, this is going to replace my MacBook Air. Like, this is, this is going to do it. And I had a friend in college in 2009 who, who sold his MacBook Pro for the first iPad, thinking, like, this is going to replace my MacBook Pro. Um, and, you know, that, that's long been sort of tested and, and people kind of know what to expect there now. Um, but reason number one is that my kid broke my iPad Pro. I, I had the 12.9-inch iPad Pro with M1 with the new display type. And um, I, I, I used that for several months. And then I kind of returned to the Mac after sort of a, what I would say a disappointing iPad OS 15 release in terms of what I was what, what I needed. Yeah. Um, so so you know, really what happened was I, I, I used that 12.9-inch iPad Pro for maybe three or four, maybe five months. And I used it mostly as a desktop. So I had it connected to uh, a display with a mouse and keyboard. And, you know, I, I docked it to my desk when I was working during the day. And I, I, it was in a tablet mode when it wasn't, you know. And I, was, I loved how versatile it was. But things like podcasting, you know. I, I know there's ways you can do this. But the easiest way I did was um, we, we, I, I used an app on the iPad um, just press record at the time to have a slide overview of my audio recording. And then I would, so I recorded that way. I did the, um, we did a FaceTime audio call over the iPhone and then had the notes and Safari up on the iPad screen. And that was, that was two devices to pull off something I can do on one on the iPad. 
what wasn't great. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, inevitably, podcasting with an iPad involves some degree of Rube Goldberg. You know, it's just right. like you've yeah. got to like put something together. Even I think even Federico Vitici does his podcasting on a Mac because you know it's just not yeah. it's just not it just it's, it just doesn't work honestly. Yeah. The 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 technical problem is it doesn't take an audio feed into two locations, so you can't have like sure. a monitoring app and a recording app. But but um, you, I mean, your main job is a lot of writing review, and um, it seems mm-hmm. to me like a lot of that would be very amenable to iPad. Really, it it is. Uh, I think if I were just writing without any external responsibility, it would be wonderful. If if it was just you know, hey Zach, write this, come back when you're done. That'd be great, but it, but it's never just that. It's always you know write this and then also keep an eye on breaking news because if this if something more urgent appears, then you need to switch modes, um, and then also work with the team at, at Nine to Five Mac and Slack. Um, you know, make sure that they've got the right idea for stories and help out with 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 that kind of thing. So it's a lot of multitasking, like literal multitasking, that doesn't quite transfer to the iPad yet. And I haven't tried Stage Manager on the iPad because I don't I don't have an iPad I don't own one anymore. Um, but just looking at it to go from three apps on the screen, you know, and split view and slide over to go to four with windowing that I'm not quite sure is what I would want out of it. You know, you've got one in focus and three moving around the screen based on what you're using. Um, I think I would still feel frustrated at the limits, and none of it addresses the audio problem of being able to record and have a call at the same time. Um, so for, for those reasons, I'm still you know, not iPad curious as I have been in the past. Um, and then you know, the last reason for it is just that Apple Silicon Macs are so good. Um, this was really tempting before Apple Silicon because you know there were there were things about the iPad you had. 10-hour battery life on, on Wi-Fi, nine hours on cellular. Speaking of cellular, you had built-in LTE or 5G, um, so you could take your iPad to the park or the beach and work from there without having to worry about Wi-Fi or, or hotspot. You know, lots of really cool things about it. You know, picking up the screen and not having anything attached to it's really cool, like it always has been. Um, but it, when I just want to not not have the device get in the way of my work, I, I just have to use the Mac still. And I don't, you know, when, when the M1 chip came to the iPad, and I assume M, M2 will come as well, I was really hopeful of, okay, you know, maybe if this thing can power the Mac, you know, at all levels, then maybe the iPad will really take a take a jump through time and and take on a lot of those capabilities of the Mac, you know. But they haven't yet, and Stage Manager is, is it gets there. But I, I and I have tried Stage Manager on Mac OS Ventura, completely not for me, <laughs> uh, because it's sort of a more focused, more limited workspace. And so, um, you know, I think what I'd really need out of the iPad is to take a year and just say, you know, at, at minimum, what would it take to make a podcast? Because podcasting is pretty popular these days. Yeah. Uh, what would it take to record a podcast as easily on an iPad as on the Mac or a PC? And, um, you know, that would be maybe step one for, for making that more viable for me. I don't know if this was, I'm, I'm sure it was unintentional, but I feel like the M1 iPad, iPad Pro last year, was a breaking point for a lot of iPad enthusiasts. Like, mm-hmm. I, I know it was for me, like, because the way it went down, they released an M1 iPad Pro before WWDC. And mm-hmm. uh, I bought one. I'm like, oh, this is going to be amazing. You know, I can't wait to 
you know, it's going to finally that, you know, they've got the same chip as the MacBook Air. This thing's going to be a monster. I can't wait for WWDC. And then at WWDC, they said, well, we added a button that makes it easier to rearrange the windows. And you're like, <laughs> right. what? It reminded yeah. me of like when I was in high school and there was a girl that I really liked. And it just took me a long time to understand that she just wasn't into me, you know? Sure. <laughs> you know? And, uh, the, uh, you know, this thing is just, you know, Apple's vision for the iPad is not mine, you know? And, yeah. and, and it, it didn't help. They kept making all these ads saying, what's a computer, you know, and, yeah. and keep telling us that the iPad is, can do all this stuff. But also in fairness, I am a nerd and like I use Apple script and keyboard maestro and shortcuts and all this great automation stuff to make my Mac dance for me. Mm. And um, at the same time, at WWC, I was having dinner with my family. I, I have two kids uh, in college and I, I asked, so what do you guys do with your iPad? What do you think of it? Oh, I love my iPad. It's awesome. I use good notes and take notes in class and I do my research. They use the iPad exactly the way Apple wanted them to. Right, And they had a great relationship with the iPad. And it was like, at that moment, I'm like, okay, so I have to stop trying to make it something that it's not. But, but that M1 thing, it was like, it was the moment where a lot of us are like, okay, she's just not that into you. (laughs) Yeah. And, and the iPad range, I mean, the lineup of iPads is really good right now where you've got the 329 model that has the the sort of classic iPad design. And then for 499, you have the new iPad mini, which looks like, you know, a mini version of the pro or air, you know, it ranges through the air to the, to the two sizes of pro. Um, It's a really good lineup. And it's, I think it's really appealing and really effective for like windows PC switchers in a way that, the Mac Mini used to be that target, um, and then maybe the the the, the MacBook Pro 13 is that stuck around for a long time um, before Retina and everything. But I think the iPad fills that these days, you know. But but it's not 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 for us. <laughs> yeah, no, I and I get it. And so instead of of, of not using it the way I've responded is I've just changed mm-hmm. the way I use it. I use it in a sure. way that's kind of more intended and, and, you know, stage manager is nice on it, but it's mm-hmm. not as nice as what I can do on a Mac. And that point you made earlier about the Mac catching up is absolutely true. Apple Silicon changed the nature of the Mac, especially the, the small laptops like the, the, I'm sorry, the MacBook air. I keep wanting to say iMac, sure. the MacBook air. I mean, it does have a long battery life. It does have an instant on. It has a lot of the features that were only on iPad before. Can you imagine if they release that 12 inch and they put a cellular radio in it? Oh my goodness. Yeah. Okay. That'd be amazing. Yeah. So I, I feel like um, they're giving us a lot of options. And then a guy like me and you, we we can run all our automation scripts and do all our nerdy things on, on a Mac. So it'll be there for us. Yeah. So uh, talk, while we're talking about, you know, your hardware and, and the Mac, I want to take a minute to talk a little bit about your workflows because you've got a pretty big team at 9to5Mac. How do you keep everybody together over there? We work in Slack primarily. And the, you know, it's kind of fun seeing it's too bad WWDC isn't, isn't, you know, as fully in person as, as it could be before uh, the pandemic. But it was kind of fun seeing Apple run uh, sort of a conference through Slack in terms of the workshops that they were doing and how the different Slack rooms were like the different conference rooms. Yeah. We, we work through Slack sort of like that, where we've got, um, there's, there's lots of different sites in the 9to5 network now, um, 9to5Mac, 
and if I've Google and if I've toys, there's I think maybe six or nine or so. So there's a lot of sites now. And so each of those has a channel. And then we have channels for things like um, you know, podcasting management, um, things about SEO, uh, you know, redesign project coming up for the site, and all those different things. And and we use those um you know, to keep organized. But I think when, if I look at our, our Mac room right now, we've got 40 members <laughs> and it's like, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And not everyone is in the Mac room, but a lot of people are. And and that's just one room, you know, we've got, uh, I think if you look at electric, the, the EV site, there's, there's probably maybe just as many members there because it's, it's the closest to, to nine to five Mac in terms of um, audience and everything. And so it's it's pretty impressive, and we've got writers in the UK, a couple of writers in the UK. We've got a couple of writers in Brazil, and then all across the US. And so, you know, it's it's it works for us. Before Slack, you know, we, we used Hip Slack or Hip, Hip, Hip you know, by Atlassian, and they eventually were bought by the the same people. But yeah, um, we, we've always been remote. Um, which which of course during the pandemic, you know, we we'd never been anything but remote. So it was sort of optimal for that. Um, but communicating through Slack, I, I like to keep, you know, Slack is, it's great for communication and everything, but I like to, the people I work closest with, we we keep in regular contact through iMessage. So Slack is like the high level for me. Um, but then iMessage and even group FaceTime is something I do often with the people I work closest with. Um, and and I would say like the group FaceTime thing, I've just got a, you know, there's, there's five people that we have a, a call with you know, if not every day throughout the week, and it isn't even—it isn't even like let's do a work meeting over Facetime or Zoom or something. It's like let's just work and hang out and chat, you know. And and it's kind of—it really helps me a lot mentally with the the barrier of working remotely and not working in a co-working space or something like that. Yeah. Um. You know, just just relating to people doing the same thing as you and and talking about just casual things in real time versus you know over messaging. Um, that helps a whole lot. It's less lonely yeah. too, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> My whole mood will change when I go from just me and Slack to our group chat on FaceTime. Yeah, yeah. I just last week did a work session with a group of friends and we just all had our cameras on and we, we did it in Zoom. We should have probably done it in FaceTime. Um, but, you know, it was nice. And and there were 45 minutes would go by and nobody would say a word, but it was nice. Yeah, yeah. And I, I like with, I mean, Zoom is the same way, but with group FaceTime, um, we also have, you know, obviously we have the group chat on iMessage as well. And so we just go from that to group FaceTime and not everyone has to join at one time and people can come and go and leave and, you know, whoever's just around, you know, is, is there. Um, so that works out well for our podcast. We, we use Skype for the longest time. And then, then my co-host Benjamin Mayo upgraded to Apple Silicon from Intel and he could run Zoom for the first time without his fans flying all the time. Yeah. So we, we use Zoom for, for our podcast. Uh, and then, then some other stuff that I use. Um, We've had in podcasting what we call the great migration yeah. <laughs> to Zoom. Everybody has kind of left, um, you know, um, you know, and gone to Zoom because because yeah. the recording tools are better and it's easier and blah blah blah. I don't yeah. know, you know, what's next, but um, uh, when you do the group FaceTime calls, do you do it on your Mac? You know, just using the camera on your Mac screen, or do you? So I'm I'm on the Mac when I'm when I'm doing them because it's usually within work hours. But others who don't have the same hours as me or they're more flexible and, and where they can work from, um, you know, they answer on their iPad or their iPhone, you know, and and so so we're all on different devices. But I, I use on the on the Mac. Um I you know the funny thing is that the 
the Apple Studio Display webcam, you know, That's was right. such, such a big controversy. Um, I'm sort of, I don't know, as lucky in my situation where my computer sits in front of four wall or you know, floor to ceiling windows and it, it looks over my balcony, which looks over um, just trees and it's really sunny out there. So there's always in the daytime really great lighting on me when I'm on these calls. Yeah. And it's like best case scenario for that webcam. You know? yeah. And no one has complained to me about, wow, your webcam looks terrible compared to ours. Uh, so, that's, Yeah, I mean, I, I went to the store. They don't look terrible. To me, they just don't look as good as I feel like they should for the, the cost of the screen, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's not, I feel like that was kind of overblown. The farmer update helped, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that 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 actually is uh, is a good idea. Um, so wh- how you know wh- how did you land on FaceTime over Zoom for those types of calls? Organically, it was from having the group chat. You know where where we, you know, it, it started out with the, the space site where with with Space Explored, we would slowly add in members to the site, and we were all kind of friends first, and then you know I'd invite them to come write with me or things like that, and so it always w- was. The way that works really is like friendship above anything, and then the site is, is sort of an, an effect of that. Um, and then when we bring on new people, we tend to just we have all the same interests, so we add them there. Um, and so it just kind of organically to go from a group chat to group FaceTime. You know, I think that's kind of how Apple plans it. Um, but but that's really how how we landed there. Zoom, you know, if you're I guess if you're cross platform, that, that's the way to go. We're all sort of on Apple products or. Uh, we've had people switch to Apple products from Android whenever they they join, you know, because they want to have iMessage and group FaceTime as well. Um, and you know, FaceTime now can do the thing where you can schedule and you can make a URL for for Android and, and PC. But um, for us, it's just that we're all using iPhone, we're all using Mac, so it just it's it's built in and convenient that way. Yeah, I am increasingly doing that with friends, and I find it to be quite useful. And there are like services you can go into where you can do it with strangers too. But for those of us that work at home, I think there's there's really something to that. Mm-hmm. In terms of the writing workflows, what are the uh, key apps to 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 make nine to five Mac happen? Sure. So part of the process is uh, writers will pitch a headline in Slack and what they want their headline to the story to be. And and just sort of over the years, I've had a knack for improving headlines and and making something a little bit more punchy and original and catchy and that kind of thing. And so over the, it, it sort of fall on me to write, you know, to either you know edit the headline or rewrite it or, or come up with a fresh headline. And so for that, I, I have IA Writer open as a very tall, very narrow window on the side of my my Mac monitor. And so as people submit their headlines, I copy and paste it into IA Writer. And then I go from there and sort of re- redo the headline the way I think it ought to go, and then I, I, you know, paste it back into the Mac, into the Slack channel. So, so that's what you use AI writer for. I mean, do you write that's, anything else in it, or is it just for I headlines? I don't do anything else in it. Um, I don't do anything <laughs> with Markdown. Nothing with publishing. It's just and and it's, you know what it is. It's that text edit on its own. It's like. I don't really like it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like the way AI writer looks and feels. And before AI writer, I was using Byword. Um, and I think I switched maybe for, you know, I don't know, maybe the way it looked or something, but, uh, IA writer, I have it on my phone as well. And like, you know, it does save like each time I, uh, per day, I have like a long list of what I've done and that helps me feel like I'm contributing, you know, in a way that I think I would lose otherwise, but, um, those all get saved as a file for that day. 
you know, no real value there, but it works. For you, know, me. I, you know, I just bought AI Writer last week. I haven't used it in years, but somebody wrote me and said, you know, you should check this thing out. And it's it's not cheap. I mean, it's like $50. <laughs> yeah. And but you know what? It's really pretty. It is. <laughs> I'm going to cover yeah. it in the Max Parking Labs, and I'm I'm discovering some little features that it does that I really like too. But I, you know, it's fun to kind of come back to an app once in a while and see how much it's changed. And I get it, and that that yeah. if you have to write, that's a pretty app. But I never thought about just using it for writing the headlines. But hey, man, and and, and I, I keep the the status bar turned on, and so you can do word count and character count, all the things that like a, a word processor will do for you. But it's so to me, it's like a very lightweight version of a word processor. Yeah, um, you know, more than notes and, and prettier than than text edit and, and on the iPhone. <laughs> you know, it's a very nice font too. I think that's a custom font that they're using. Right, and, and there's certain things with headlines where we want to stay within a character limit, but we've also got SEO titles and um, our, our feature headlines on the site have to be below 54 characters. So um, that, that can be challenging when you're writing it just out, you know, to guess what is that. And um, you can't do a whole lot with 54 characters, for example, but um, you know, it's, it's one place to focus and refine and, and uh, works for me. You know? So, so when you write a story, where do you write it? Writing a story, uh, I live dangerously, I oh, always no. have. Are you going to say yeah. you do it on the web? I do it on I do it on the web and WordPress. Oh, oh yeah. man! <laughs> and okay. that, that was way worse. And like, and, and you know, the main reason for that is like I mentioned before, it, it's it's way less like long term writing this you know piece over a week and then publishing it you know on a scheduled time. It's it's a lot more of let's be fast and quick and efficient and get yeah. this story up as quick as possible. And so from from that you know, approach. WordPress, just writing directly in the CMS and then hitting go. You know, we, through our workflow, we, we we save our draft and we give it to an editor who who runs through it before publishing. Um, but but working in the CMS has always been important for that workflow. Um, and I, I've tried like working in in Mars Edit, which I think is just a lovely Mac app, wonderful icon, cool name, great function. Um, as sort of a you know when I do longer form stuff. But the reality is I'm just doing a lot less of that and just a lot more of in the moment stories these sure. days. So so work and working in in, uh, <laughs> in WordPress online is a lot more reliable in 2022 than in 2013. Yeah. Back then things as simple as accidentally um, moving your finger across the magic mouse and, and going back in Safari would lose all your work. And uh, these days it saves pretty regularly in the background. I think you can even command S to, to force a save on online. And uh, it, it's not as bad as it used to be. Yeah, no, it is a lot better, but it still does weird things. Like when you go to copy text, it may cut a line out or something. It's it's still, you know, a web, you know, device. Yeah. But yeah. the thing that that's, that I, I want to laugh at is you literally have AI writer on your screen. When you're doing <laughs> yeah. this. I mean, yes, the yes. app that is just kind of made for that. And you're like, no, nah, right. I'll do it in the web. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, what's going to happen in the next week. I'm going to have a home pod fail and you're going to lose something in the yeah. web. <laughs> <laughs> Probably it, it, we, you know, we're on the latest version of WordPress too with block editor and everything. And that was quite a transition from, from classic WordPress. Um, and, and I do have, you know, more than like losing a tab and losing data, I do have time for the block editor just behaves super weirdly and not what I wanted to do. And I do have to go through the, the revision history and find out, you know, find a paragraph, um, something just as, as easily as my first paragraph backspace to the headline. And I over, I overrode that. 
And now I've just got to command Z my way back to, to how it was because it wasn't even saved, you know? Yeah. Um, but, but again, like, you know, I have to work around those things and, and learn, okay, that was the problem there. Don't repeat that. Look out for that. Um, because it really is speed and efficiency. And that's just, you know, it's kind of like you're writing on the place that it's going to go and publish. So it's just way more efficient that way for, for fast, you know, for fire host style sites. Yeah, exactly. For like one to three paragraphs. Why not? Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. The, um, then you guys do, do a lot of images as well on your site. Do you have a right. workflow for that? Yeah, I do. And, and we have a team. Uh, a guy named Michael Bauer uh, is is our lead featured image creator. And he does everything in Photoshop. He's he's you know a pro at that. I'm not. And I've always just been a Pixelmator Pro user, a Pixelmator user. And it's you know, for a non-Photoshop user, you know, you, you don't use it enough to need a subscription. You just need to do things like make a 2000 by 1000, you know, sheet and then st- make your image fit and those restraints. Um, Pixelmator is awesome for that. It's, it's really great on the Mac. It always has the, the, you know, fastest updates for new technology. I love the, the, the magic resolution feature where, where it uses machine learning and you can enhance the, the resolution of it. And, and it's really cool, really lovely. Um, that's always open on my dock because if I'm doing, a, you know, an image myself and I, you know, with, with, with web publishing, you, you want to make it efficient as, as possible and and not have it be like a super big image that's taking up a lot of space and load times and everything. So um, just about every image I work with goes through Pixelmator and I export it uh, as a JPEG and, um, you know, try to keep the, the file size in the kilobytes. You know, it I mean, works this, great for that. This is the second week in a row we've had a guest talking about Pixelmator. And you know what? It's all true. I mean, it's just, it's a great app. You buy it once. Mm-hmm. And it has every tool most people need. That's right. Yeah, but both for her IA Writer and Pixelmator Pro, I bought them years ago and keep getting enhancements. Um, and you know, like I said, I'm not a Photoshop level user, but I do things in Pixelmator Pro too, like you know, taking advantage of, of working on different layers of an image and, and changing colors and styles without ruining the whole thing. You know, um, really great features there. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com slash MPU and make your next move. Enter offer code MPU at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace is my go-to place for starting a new thing on the internet. I've literally lost track of the number of websites that me and my family have built out at Squarespace over the years. When my daughter was finishing school and she needed to make a website showing off her talents, she did it at Squarespace. When Daisy and I decided to do the Disneyland Field Guide, we did that at Squarespace too. In fact, for many years, Max Sparky was on Squarespace. And for the entire existence of my law firm, it was on Squarespace. It's just the place to go. With Squarespace, you can use insights to grow your business. If you've ever wondered where your site visits and sales are coming from or which channels are most effective, you can analyze all of that in Squarespace. Once you've got that data, you can improve your website and build marketing strategies based on your top keywords or most popular products and content. Now, I've seen analytics before, and Squarespace really excels at it. They make it really easy to understand and for anybody to take advantage of. You can also sell your products on an online store. I have a friend that was doing his product sales through a third-party service who's paying a ton of fees. We set him up with Squarespace, and now he's getting all that money for himself. Whether you sell physical or digital products, Squarespace has the tools you need to start selling online. And you can stand out in any inbox with Squarespace email campaigns. So why not encourage your visitors to sign up as email subscribers and start them on the journey of becoming loyal customers? 
Just like the website templates, Squarespace has email templates that you can customize by applying your brand ingredients like site colors and a logo. And again, they have great analytics. If you want to get blogging, Squarespace has powerful blogging tools to share stories, photos, videos, and updates. You'll be able to categorize, share, and schedule your posts to make your content work for you. One of the biggest advantages of Squarespace, in my opinion, is how easy it is. Anybody that signs up a Squarespace website can run it. And we know that's not true for a lot of these web services. So whether you're helping out the soccer team or someone at work, you can get them signed up with a Squarespace website. Show them around a little bit, and then you're done. They do the rest themselves. They get ownership of it. They love that, and your time gets preserved. So head to squarespace.com MPU for a free trial with no credit card required. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code MPU to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Once again, that's squarespace.com MPU. And when you decide to sign up, use the offer code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for the Mac Power users. So our thanks to Squarespace for their support of the Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. You uh, you run 9to5Mac, or you play a role over there. Uh, we're nerds. How many betas have you got installed these days? <laughs> <laughs> as many betas as many places. Yeah. Uh, I, iOS 16 on day one, macOS Ventura on day one, watchOS 9 on day one. Yeah. Uh, no iPad OS because of no iPad. No TV OS because I'm not sure what I would do on it. <laughs> there is a HomePod beta. I don't I don't use that. In in this year, there's a new beta for AirPods, and I don't do that either. But yeah. the main the main three for me are, are the iPhone, the Mac, and the Apple Watch. Yeah, we were we were lucky enough to to actually get get up to Cupertino, mm-hmm. and um, Apple had a space where we could podcast. Man, you want to talk about a nice podcast setup? That Apple yeah. has got it right. And they asked me, I, they said, well, do you need anything from us? I said, well, do you have an iPad with the beta on it that I could just oh, use nice. for the for the recording? They're like, they looked at me like I was an idiot. Like, of course not. Why would we do that? <laughs> you know, you, you give it, you were going to give our iPad to some goofy podcaster. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, then I'll just put it on mine. Sure. <laughs> and, uh, I thought you were going to say they were like, sure. And you didn't have to. But. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, so I had mine on like within an hour of it dropping. But yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I take a lot of heat from Steven on that and, and a lot of people, but you know what? I figure heck with it. Let's just try it. People want to hear what's going. Uh, what are you digging so far? Well, I will say I recorded a podcast at WWC 2019 yeah. in their, in their uh, San Jose, like mock-up studio. And that was really cool. <laughs> really yeah. good equipment and everything. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm using, um, I'm I'm in, I'm in, I'm appreciating iOS 16 more than anything. I think because that's where I I interact with the the most new features. Yeah. Um. Even compared to the Mac, where I spend a lot of my time, and on the watch, where I have it on all the time. Um. You know, and it's it's things like the lock screen. The I'm, I'm not going crazy with with lock screen widgets yet, in part because there's no third party widgets yet. Yeah. It, it's you know what Apple has baked in. Um. And it's it's that's a really cool feature though, but. It's still a little buggy too. Like I'm having sure. trouble getting wallpapers to stick with the new stuff. Yeah, um, but uh, it, it is it is pretty cool. Like I made one for like my personal lock screen, and it's just my dog, and it's it's basically covering up all the widgets and most of the time. But she yeah. looks so cute. I just don't care. <laughs> but That's then, awesome. Like, the work one, I, I'm going all in with widgets, but I'm already seeing from third party developers some really cool. 
like renderings. And I think that this lock screen widget thing is going to be huge. They, they were really smart because they built it on the um, complication API. Mm-hmm. So anybody that's ever made a watch app has already got basically, you know, lock screen widgets. Yeah. I, I like that you can have multiple. So I've, I have one that is sort of a purple to blue gradient. And that's sort of my generic screenshot uh, wallpaper when I want to publish something online, you know, and, and maybe not have my something more personal in the shot or, or something, you know, that's just, I, I like having kind of a generic one for, for web publishing. Yeah. Um, I have one that's when I'm kind of in space mode, you know, if I'm going out to a space event or something, I want to kind of get in the mood for that. And it's, uh, it's a rocket and it's, it's, you know, it, it uses the feature where it detects the subject and puts the time behind that. And it just looks so cool. I love it. Uh, and then I've got one that I, is kind of my daily driver that is just a really close-up shot on a motorcycle. And um, and, and above that, you know, I, I only think custom here with the motorcycle one is that I've got the, the time in a custom in a, in a customizable font, sort of the rounded one. Yeah. And then I don't have any widgets on this one, but I do have the above the the time where the date is. You can now have new options there. So I have the date and weather conditions. So it shows sunny and ninety-one degrees outside. So it's good I, data, I like, right? Yeah, yeah, like having that. So, are you? Uh, have you got into the focus modes? Have you played with that, or is that something you're interested in? I use I use the built-in ones. So I use uh, sleep mode, of course, for for um, you know when when I wear my watch to, to bed and and don't want to have that you know annoy me. Um, I I use uh, one for driving, and I I use you know generic do not disturb. Uh, I haven't done any you know things much to kind of trick it out and. And, and um, you know, have certain naps work. Mainly what I've done is just have certain contacts come through. And those are sort of emergency contacts. So if I'm doing something that, you know, I, I'd really want to be notified if something happened with family, I have them come through. Um, but but mostly I, I, I run without a focus mode. Um, not because of any complaint with the feature, you know, and it only gets better with iOS 16. Um, but I, I think it's mainly that I've got my alerts so constrained already that there's, you know, my, my, my opportunities for focus mode are, are more with driving or sleeping and, and less with different mode switching of, of, you know, whether it's work or play or what. Um, but I love that you can tie these in with the lock screens. You yeah, know, you can, uh, that's what I was about to say. Is that you may want to look at it again. And yeah. everybody, when iOS 16 comes out, wants to look at this because there's two things they did. Number one is they added the ability to make focus modes inclusive or exclusive. So you can just say, let everything in but these two people. Mm -hmm. So suddenly, it's not as restrictive as it could be, which I think kept a lot of people away from using them. Yeah. And secondly, is exactly what you just said. Once you hit the focus mode, it changes your lock screen, it changes your home screen, and it changes your watch face. So you could go full space mode, right? And you hit space mode, your lock screen changes to a rocket ship, your background changes to a star field, and your watch changes to a lunar calendar or whatever, yeah, you know, and yeah. like all of a sudden, like, it's just like all your technology is in compliance and I, right. it, it's not working fully. We're at literally beta two as we record this. So it's, of course they're still working on it, but I have every confidence they're going to ship this thing and we're going to be able to reliably have our whole like kind of computer setup switch around based on what mode we go into. And I, I think that's really cool. Yeah, and the fact that it syncs between your devices or, or can is, is really cool. The uh, one of the preset ones for workout, you know, you you begin a workout on your Apple Watch and you go into a focus mode. Um, that's that's really cool. 
and and I think when more apps, uh, I'm not sure if it was this year when the API, API became available or last year, but uh, you know, like if Slack had good focus mode integration, that would be wonderful. I think then I would spend more time with it. Now, one of the features you had mentioned you were interested in with the new betas is the haptic feedback keyboard. Could you explain that? Yeah. So since I think the iPhone 6S had a haptic engine like the Apple Watch for haptic feedback, people have kind of wanted, well, what if you press a button and you get feedback from that? That would be kind of cool, especially in the keyboard. It would feel more like a physical object. And um, third-party keyboards are done this. Like I think Gboard from Google does this, but it's a system setting in iOS 16 where you can turn on haptic feedback for the keyboard. And um, it, it's sort of, you know, the usability of it is, I know some people like to have their sound turned on for keyboard clicks for, the, for a more realistic effect. Uh, some people find that very annoying, or if you're muted, you don't get those. And if you just if you don't have those, it's just a really flat effect. You don't, you know, it's pressing a screen for buttons. But with haptic feedback, it's just it's it's kind of a just a joy feature, you know, a, a nice to have feature. But as you type, you get the, the feedback from the haptic engine, and it feels kind of like typing on a you know actual keyboard. It's I think the reason I like it so much is that the, that the Anytime you get a chance to use the Taptic Engine with like something very precise, like a, like taking a photo, you know, something more than just a notification, it, it's really good. You know, I, th- I think one of the big differences between Android phones and iPhone is that the the Taptic Engine has always been ahead of the head of the competition there. They're, you know, because of the Apple Watch making that so good, that came to the iPhone as well. Um, so this extends to the keyboard this year. Really, really cool feature. You know, I've always liked that on Android phones that I've played with the, you know, the way you touch a, tap a key and the phone gives you feedback. And mm-hmm. for whatever reason, I didn't have it turned on on my beta device. So now I'm now I'm with you, brother. I'm gonna yeah. be, I'm gonna be running <laughs> that. That's it. Thank you for bringing that one up. I think that's gonna be something a lot of people like. Um, what else has you interested with the uh, new betas? I'm I'm using the uh, the clock app on the Mac more than I thought I would. You know, this year the iPad and uh, the iPad gains a weather app. Was already has had a clock app for a while, and the Mac gains both weather and clock. Yeah, and you know that's it, nice. You open the widget for weather, and you get a full app experience, and you can click around and get more details. That's 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 cool. But for the clock, I was, you know, seeing what I'm not going to use my Mac as an alarm clock. And I you know I know what time it is. Um, there's a world clock, but I'm not really using that. But um, timers. I guess before you, you couldn't do a timer with Siri, for example. Yeah, <laughs> it, would, it would say, you know, don't have a clock. You need to use your iPhone for that kind of thing. And now you can do that. And I, I use timers a lot on the Apple Watch. You know, cooking and um, you know, like for this call, I, I wanted to, you know, be kind of present. You know, ten minutes before the call, so I set a timer from from where I was and um, lots of things like that. But having it built into the Mac is is cool. I finally have a reason to use Siri. <laughs> As someone who does a lot of automation, I'll tell you, one of the big stumbling blocks with shortcuts on the Mac is so many automations involve time of one sort sure. or another. And all of those clock actions didn't work yeah. with Monterey. And now they do with Ventura. You know, it, yep. Something just occurred to me, Zach. You have one Mac, and yeah. you're running <laughs> Mac OS Ventura. That, that is true. I have one iPhone. I have one Apple Watch. I have... Last thing on the clock thing is you get the timer in the menu bar, which I think is nice for an app that came from the iPad. That's cool. Yeah. But you're right. One one device for each of these things. Uh, you know, if if something goes bad, it goes bad. But more often than not, it doesn't for me. And I've run every beta from day one since iOS five before I was working with nine to five Mac. So um, 
and that's just kind of the enthusiast in me, you know, the, the yeah. tech enthusiasts. Because, like I said, I mean, I, I bought my first developer account for iOS five beta, you know, <laughs> all those years ago. Um, and now, you know, I'm I'm lucky to be able to say it's for work, but really, it's not. It's because I want to try these things out and um, haven't haven't had anything in, in recent years that's been terrible. And I I do have backups from the previous versions, but as as you go throughout the summer, you know, your backups aren't on old software aren't as updated. So yeah. there is some risk there. And also like if it's cloud data, like iCloud stuff, a lot of times winding it back doesn't necessarily work. You can't put it back yeah. together. You, you can't run your Mac OS Ventura photo library on Mac OS Monterey. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> doesn't work. Yeah. But you know what that, you know, I would like to say that you'll grow out of it someday, but I'm in my fifties and I still do yeah. it too. Yeah. I, I love it. But, but man, only on one Mac, that would be hard. I, I can tell you for me on the Mac version of Ventura, I really like it. I wish I could run on my main machine. I, I Hopefully mm-hmm. Steven's not listening to this part. By now, he's probably bored. He's like, I'm going <laughs> to skip to the end listen to space. I would yeah. love to run it on my main machine, but if I do and the podcast goes bad, uh, yeah. Stephen Hackett will get on an airplane and come and murder me. That's that's what <laughs> will happen. Yeah. If if you use rogue Amiga apps, they just say no way when you run the beta right now. Yeah, uh, and and so um, I know Audio Hijack is a big thing for people in the community. I use Piezo for recording audio. Yeah, can't do it on Ventura, but my my backup is is using QuickTime until you know rogue Amiga works with the new stuff. Yeah. And the way we do our show is like I, I record you and me and join. I, I use the Rogue Amoeba stuff extensively, mm-hmm. so there's no way I could do it. And the other thing, and generally I would say most apps have worked fine. The The only one that really, you know, didn't work for me at all was ScreenFlow, which is another app I mm-hmm. use every day. And it, it, for whatever reason, it's just not working properly. Yeah. And uh, so... I wish I could, man. I wish I could put on my min machine. <laughs> but I, I have a, a borrowed machine, and I've been connecting mm-hmm. it to my external display just to see, you know, kind of what, um, you know, Stage Manager looks like. What do you think about Stage Manager on your Mac, by the way? You've got a big screen. I think it's fun to try, uh, especially when you're not time-constrained. Like, if I try it during work, which I've tried, I immediately go, this is not going to work for me. I, I need to switch back to my normal mode. It's interesting that it's a separate mode that you enter like through Control Center and not through a shortcut on the the keyboard or the checkpad. Um, it does feel like a big mode switch in that way versus the way that Mission Control and Expose are you know kind of just tied in there to the existing window scheme. Um, I'm I'm not sure that I'll have a use case for it. Is, is what I'll say. Yeah. I have tried it in times where I'm not going to be busy and. At first, I was like, well, this is a really cool way to switch apps and full screen without having to scroll horizontally on the trackpad and go from big mail to big big music, you know, big podcast, big photos. That doesn't feel great. So here I've got a switcher on the side, and I can be in mostly full screen with these apps. But as soon as I want to, I think the configuration is, is too much for me, where I want to have same apps on the same screen and I just, you know, I love the Mac. I love the way the Mac works. I love the the way that you can just have a big pile of messy windows. And um, my my setup is a Twitter column, an RSS column, and then everything else, and then a column for IA Writer. And then everything else column, you know, I I, I get I I can get through things easily that way. With Stage Manager, uh, I'm really interested in hearing hearing how like. You know, listeners and readers use it because I haven't quite found a place for it for me yet. 
I think it's essential on the iPad if you want to do more. Yeah. But on the Mac, I'm not quite sure what I would use it for. Yeah, I'd wrote a Mac Sparky. I feel like it's it's a vertical improvement on the iPad. Like this is a next level better thing mm-hmm. where it's horizontal on the Mac. Like this is one more way to do this. It's not sure. It's not necessarily better, but it's another yeah. way. And I think for people who are not running nine to five Mac or Mac Sparky and just want something simple, having the same paradigm on both Mac and iPad, I think is going to be pretty popular. I think there's going to be a group of people that really like it, but like Mm -hmm. you, I'm not sure it'll stick on my Mac either. Yeah. What about, have you tried, since you've got all the betas on your Mac and your display, have you tried using continuity camera with your iPhone yet? I have tried it. Uh, I tried it with the first beta and it worked, especially for being my webcam you know, the, the cool desk view feature where it uses the ultra wide camera and basically look down. Uh, I didn't have any luck with that. It was really skewed and I couldn't quite make it work, but this is using my hand to hold it up and not a mount. Yeah. So, you know, and also beta one at the time, but I, I'm looking forward to trying that out whenever there's, you know, mounts that you can purchase or, you know, and, and use, um, and then also the final version of it. But just with the, the feature of replacing your, your Mac webcam with your iPhone camera works really well. Um, you give it permission once, and then I think by default, it will switch automatically whenever the iPhone is still and close to your Mac. And I was running into an issue that I wasn't quite sure what was happening, which was I would be on a FaceTime call and people could could hear me, but my video was just black and I could turn it off and back on and it was still just black and I couldn't figure it out. And I realized it was because the iPhone in my pocket was becoming the, the camera yeah. because it was yeah, okay. it was stationary and nearby. Yeah. And yeah. I turned it off the automatic switching feature and now I just do it manually. Works wonderfully. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I think that's going to be very popular. And, and those uh, whoever makes those little hang stands you, that you hang on your monitor, they're going to have a lot of customers. I think that's going to be great. Well, yeah. it's over an hour, and we haven't talked to you about the Apple Watch. And you are kind of the unofficial Mac Power user, Apple Watch correspondent. <laughs> so uh, give us give us your quick breakdown on what you think of uh, the new Watch OS. The new Watch OS. Uh, I, I am just, I, I marvel at how good the Apple Watch is at specifically run tracking. Apple continues to improve the built-in workouts app to be highly competitive with dedicated sports watches from Garmin and others. The new heart rate, uh, heart zone feature, really, really, really impressive. Um, there, there's something that stands out to me, which is that Apple makes the Apple Watch Nike version, which, which they encourage you to use with Nike Run Club. And over the years, this has been true for a while, but over the years, the built-in workouts app has been a much more sophisticated run tracker than Nike Run Club. <laughs> and, and so... That sends out to me that it's even more true now. And then other things about it, I really like that they've updated older watch faces like Utility from the first round of watch faces to work with the complications that began with the Series 4 watch. So you have those corner complications of gauges and things like that um, that can have more information there than just the circle watch uh, complications on the older watch faces. And updating those to work has kind of rejuvenated the, the, the older watch faces. And Utility is a wonderful one as an analog clock because it's in full color, uh, unlike unlike maybe California, and um, you know what, what they've done there is they've given you two corner complications of gauges on top, and then you've got the classic one on the bottom where it wraps around the clock, and so a pretty pretty good approach there. 
And then the way that alerts work now in the watch, I, I used, I've always used the bigger watch screen, um, just my preference. And especially now in the 45 millimeter, there's a lot of space to work with. And the way that alerts come in now are sort of non-invasive where you can receive an alert, look at your watch, and instead of having a full screen pop-up, you get just the banner as if it were you know, an iPhone since iOS 5. And I like that a lot. It's it's it feels more like a little multitasking computer than than you know the first version of the watch. So some good stuff there. I'm 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 happy with the the shape of Watch OS nine. Watch faces gaining always on support, you know, and apps that way has been a kind of a thing I've looked for for a while. And last year they they really satisfied that. Um, this year visiting older watch faces that that's one of those big ones from the past that I think they should have addressed, and they finally did that. Um, and like I said, just just more features in 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 the workouts app. I'm really impressed with what they're doing there, and I hope they they keep it up. Yeah, when I installed it, I tried the new faces and uh, discovered, like you, that utility works much better now and it looks better. Mm-hmm. And that's the one I've been using. I I still am disappointed that they don't have a better story about watch faces and giving us more yeah. customization, more options. But uh, fixing utility, I'll take it. You know. Yeah, I mean, on utility, I would prefer to have the four corner complications versus the one in the bottom being the wrap around the clock face, because to me, it does feel like half new on the top, half new or half old on the bottom, um, and, and just the there's so many of those small customizations you'd want to have even before you think about third party watch faces. Like I'd, I'd want to have California complications be in color, you know, as an option, not just in grayscale, um, and the and, and infograph. You know, it's it's great, but I want to have numerals around the dial, and not not just the the, the ticks. So, still a big opportunity there, but yeah, uh, not there yet though. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Sourcegraph. Move fast, even in big code bases, with Sourcegraph. So you've hired a brilliant developer. That's great, but now you have to get them onboarded. If your company is growing, onboarding new developers will be a common occurrence, but it's a big undertaking each time. One of the biggest challenges for new hires is to get up to speed with the project their new team is working on. This can be tricky if the code bases your developers are working on are already large. Thankfully, Sourcegraph makes it easy to move fast even in those big code bases. Developers know that knowledge is most useful when it's findable. Centralization is helpful, but given the fact that most companies store knowledge in at least two different locations, how do you make knowledge accessible to those that need it? As a code intelligence platform, Sourcegraph gives developers what they need to drive their own learning over time in different situations. Teams without Sourcegraph need to rely on asking colleagues or reviewing out-of-date documentation, which is cumbersome and time-consuming and sometimes even wrong. But with Sourcegraph, every developer can search across millions of repositories to find specific code, saving time for themselves and everyone else. So when questions do come up, you know it's the big stuff that's worthy of the extra time. Sourcegraph was created to make developers' lives easier, and today they work with leading companies across every industry, including three out of five of the top companies, plus PayPal, Uber, Plaid, GE, Reddit, and Atlassian. Visit about.sourcegraph.com to learn more. That's about.sourcegraph.com to find out why some of the biggest tech companies in the world use Sourcegraph and to see what it can do for yours. Or check the link in the show notes to let them know you heard about them from the Mac Power users. Our thanks to Sourcegraph for their support of the Mac Power users and all of Relay FM.
Well, Zach, I always like to finish these interviews up talking about some favorite apps and services. I know a lot of our guests use interesting apps that listeners may have not heard of or may have heard of, but what are some of the apps that help you get your work done? I mentioned before RSS and and the app reader, and I use that on my iPhone and on the Mac. It's as important to me as Twitter is, um, because Twitter is kind of the, you know, the, the firehouse of information coming by. And you might miss something. You might miss a story being published that you think is interesting and might want to want to walk around. Uh, RSS is like, you know, it, it's it's the news without all the commentary. And so yeah. I really like that. Um, for years, I think since 2014, if not 2013, I've used David Smith's um, RSS service Feed Wrangler, yeah. uh, which was, you know, one of the earlier replacements for Google Reader, which I never actually used. Uh, and that's sort of sunsetting now where, it's the last year of service, and Dave recommends using uh, other services. And I was looking at the options, and um, I didn't mind paying for Feed Wrangler, but I really just use it for syncing RSS and nothing more, none of the more advanced features that you get from um, maybe some of the, like Feedbin and others. So I kind of didn't want to pay anybody else the subscription. And so I looked at RSS and Reader, and they have an option maybe added in the last year or two where you can have iCloud be your syncing service. So if you only use the Reader app for RSS and you don't use any other client, then you can use iCloud and and just keep your timeline in sync. And because I was already using a third-party service with a first-party client, then my experience did not change at all. I just exported the OPML file and then opened it up as iCloud as a sync engine, and my experience is exactly the same. So I, I'm happy with that. Uh, and, and that really is, I have Twitter pinned to the top so that the latest tweet is always in view. And the same thing with RSS, it refreshes as soon as every five minutes for me. And that's what I have it turned on at. And, um, you know, really useful, especially for some of the, the sites like um, Variety and, um, and those like entertainment sites. You know, those, those get hidden fast in my timeline on Twitter, but in RSS, they, you know, you, you tend to see those stories more. And with, with Apple doing so much in entertainment these days, um, you know, kind of important to keep up with those. So, yeah, you know, it, uh, one question for you I have is because you really are kind of at the sharp end of the news cycle. Like mm-hmm. most of us, like that do this stuff, like me, I, I can take two weeks to write about something, and you know, I get to it when I get to it. But people come to your site for you know breaking news. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you like? How do you manage that? How do you not let it like you know take over? Well, a couple of things there. You know, one for new writers is a challenge, and we have to kind of set the expectation of we are competing. <laughs> you know, we 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 not only we, we want to be first, but we want to be best too. You know, um, we don't want just one or the other, and so that's that's kind of just the culture at Nine to Five Mac. Um, and then it's really just experience. It's uh, you know, I remember my first you know few months of writing. I would feel very nervous about publishing anything at all because it was like so many people are going to see this, and if I've got something wrong, I'm you know it's going to worry me all week. <laughs> uh, and it, it's just experience. It's just that you you get faster over time, you get more efficient. You learn what's important, what you can add later, what you need to have as the kind of the base of the story. Um, you know, and subject matter expertise. When you know something really well, you can say a lot about it without much you know, input without, you know, looking at the sources and things like that. So um, it's just experience. And, and that's kind of, you know, in the early days, I'd feel like, man, anybody could take this job. And, you know, what do I really do here that's important or special? Um, but over the years, hiring has been, you know, onboarding new writers has always been a lesson in, in that of like, 
Yeah, if I started over from day one, I would be as nervous as I was then and slow and that kind of thing. It really is just a a learned skill of priorities and expertise and that kind of thing. Um, so, if, and also, I, I, it's really rewarding in that if I'm writing a review, I think the last thing I did was the um, After Steve book. And I liked that because I had things to say about it that I wanted to put out there. And so I felt rewarded after that of like, okay, there's my take on the book. Um, but for a lot of things, it's like, I really want to be a storyteller. And I, and I like being someone who tells something new because if I'm excited about it, I want you to know about it as well. And I want you to know why I care about it. And you get a lot of just good feedback that way from publishing um, a story as quickly as you can, but with giving it the depth that you want it to take. You know, you don't want it to be the equivalent of a, of a retweet. You want it to be, you know, as if we we're in person. And I'm telling you something I just learned, and I'm very excited about it. So that's kind of the approach there. Yeah, well, I, I, it's impressive that you guys keep up with that stuff, and uh, I've always wondered about that. Yeah, thanks. Any other apps and services that float your boat? Yeah, it's two apps. Uh, one is called Broadcast from Steve Chowton Smith, who a lot of us know from Twitter as like the, the code wonk. You know, he can unpack a yeah. uh, an app or a version of iOS and learn things from it, which is really impressive. And I, and by default, he has you know he's from Ireland. He's got Irish radio presets, and I remove all those, and I just have two feeds. One is the Really FM live feed. And the other is for accidental tech podcast. And so I listen to, to shows on Relay Live while I'm working as kind of like company and, you know, watercolor speak of what we're, what we're all working on and um, ACP Live. And the reason I like, like to do those with broadcast versus the web uh, is that broadcast is an app that works on the Mac, on the Apple TV, on the iPhone and iPad, and on the Apple Watch, including with cellular. So you can be out for a run or a jog or, or a bike ride and listen to a live podcast without your iPhone even over cellular. And that, that to me is just really cool. Um, Steve Chatton Smith is really good at taking advantage of current technology and making it useful. So that's the best example of that. Um, and then uh, the last thing is an app on the uh, iPhone called Guitar Tuna, like the fish, which is a pun on tuner, which is what it is. Sure. Uh, and you know, years ago, I, I would have like a dedicated guitar tuner where you would plug in your guitar with a cable and replace the batteries every so often, and and you'd use that to tune your guitar. Um, and and these days, I just use my iPhone. I open up Guitar Tuna and I play in you know out in the open. And as soon as you hit what tune you're looking for at the end of like the six strings, it's just done. And I'm always amazed at how fast and easy it is um, to tune my guitar with that. And my, my, you know, that's kind of my hobby is is, is playing music and writing songs. And um, I, I kind of do that like I keep notes, Apple Notes, for some some song ideas and, and words and things like that. But the main thing I do is I open up Photo Booth on my Mac. It's like my um, just like video recording app, you know. In place of I guess if it were like camera, I would just use camera. Sure. But I use Photo Booth on the Mac, and I just play for 20 minutes at a time. And I love going back and look, looking at, okay, this is what I picked up from that kind of session. I like that. Keep doing that more. Um, and then I play with Logic when I want to go a little bit more advanced from that. And I have this hardware accessory from 2005, which I think is the oldest piece of technology that I actually use still today. Um, it's called, it, it's a multiprocessor effects pedal from a company called Digitech, which is no longer around. Uh, and the hardware is called RP155. And what it is, is it's a, you plug your guitar into it and you're running out to an amp and you get all these different effects. 
but it also has a USB-B output on the back. And I use that to connect my guitar to my Mac. And um, it works really well. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's... That's the fun of it all. We and we had a, a vibraphone that's on last week, and it just nice. you know so much of the stuff you do as a musician or someone who's learning to be a musician is so made so much easier by all of this yeah. Apple tech. It's it's crazy. Yeah, um, you know, when you're talking about Steve Trotton Smith, I was thinking there's like this whole new area of reporting. You know, historically, mm-hmm. you you would report something because you had a source. You talked to somebody in the supply chain or someone at Apple, but now You've got, I guess you'd call them code spelunkers, guys like mm-hmm. Steve, people who go into and find information just by things that are buried in the code. And um, you guys kind of, I, I don't know if you were the first that did it, but you're one of the first that I ever saw doing it. And that is so interesting to me that, you know, that is now a way to discover things is just yeah. go and find little things left in the code. This is an area where I think the iPhone 10 is when we really got into doing this stuff and, and following Steve and following Gary Rambo at the time. And um, it was it was a point where it was way over my head in terms of capability, but I knew it was important to us. And years ago when we received a pre-release version of a GM of uh, you know the actual release version of, of iOS that year. Was that the, the HomePod thing? That was it was HomePod all summer, and it was actually the release for the iPhone ten. Oh yeah, that that we got, and you know we could run it on our phones, which was scary, but it worked, and we could find some things. Um, but what was really useful was that that evening talking to Steve and talking to Guillermo Rambo and saying like, "Hey, we have this thing. We've run up to the you know our limit on what we can learn from it without someone like you." And um, I, that night, I told both Steve and Rambo, like, hey, we've got this. You know, if, if you want to work with this, I'll give it to you. And the only rule is that we publish it on 9 to 5 Mac first, then you can tweet about it. And at first Steve said no. <laughs> and Rambo said yes. And then we were we were finding things that way. And then Steve got interested because he's like, oh, Rambo's funny things. I bet I can find more. <laughs> and um, they both worked for this that night. And, and for a, a long time, Rambo worked as kind of a code spelunker for us as well. Um, and And that was really nice. But now it's you know, we've kind of like learned from the trade as well. And we've got experts at 9to5Mac who do that as well. And we have a whole room called Apple Spelunking that is like, this is what we, you know, it, a lot of it is like, you've got to have context to make sense of the, of the stuff because it's a very vague references in code. Um, but if you know context and you can make some pretty good predictions and, and some pretty good analysis, you can often find out, you know, what's going on, what's coming. Um, and it's fun these days too to see what competitors do with the same information because it is so much... So much of it is interpretation, and we'll see things that get reported, and we're like, "No, we've seen that code. We don't think so." You know, we kind of set it out on that one, um, or we see things, and we're like, "This is very important. Let's let's dig deeper on this." And that's really where the team comes into play because, on my own, I could do none of that. I think a lot of us couldn't, but the, these folks who who look at the stuff, they've just got a really good skill set that I think very few people have. Well. Zach, as always, you and I uh, have no trouble talking about stuff going on around Apple. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, I want to thank you so much for coming on today. Where can people find you that want to learn more? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, Apollo Zach. It's A P O L L O Z A C. Um, also, of course, follow Nine to Five Mac and SpaceExplore.com. And we have a, a weekly podcast called Nine to Five Mac Happy Hour, where I co-host weekly with my, my co-host Benjamin Mayo, 
And uh, we strive for an hour. We usually hit about an hour and a half or two hours. And uh, that's that's been going for as long as I can remember. <laughs> and and that's where, uh, you know, I kind of have the most reward and just talking out these ideas like we did just now and listening and you know, hearing from listeners and um, kind of, you know, you form a different relationship over audio than you do in text. So I love that. So if you haven't listened yet, check it out. And I want to thank our sponsors, 1Password, Electric, Squarespace, and Sourcecraft. We are the Mac Power Users. You can find us at relay.fm slash MPU. You can find the forums at talk.macpowerusers.com. And we'll see you next time.